I, uh, I do have a friend who's an officer and an educator um, who, I mean, we've never had like a tell me about like specifics and hold you accountable conversation, mm -hmm. but um, he retweets my stuff all the time. So I'm like, that's fine. That's what counts. Like we're usually on the same page on that stuff. Yeah. I don't think I've ever like posted a cab all cops are bastards <laughs> um <laughs> but uh i don't get the i don't get the well you guys don't understand thing from him i get the him doing what he can to hold folks accountable mm -hmm. and like name supremacy whiteness and mm -hmm. and that kind of stuff but uh but uh yeah i'm i'm done with the institution um because it just it doesn't have in the u.s it doesn't have any other uh history it's consistent mm -hmm. yeah i have a friend of mine from she's in new zealand and she just she comments on my post once in a while and she just can't fathom what goes on here mm -hmm. She's like flabbergasted. She's like, we don't have the gun issue. And, you know, they yeah. have a fabulous um, leader <laughs> right now who is, you know, they had one incident and suddenly they're like, okay, we're done with this type of gun. We don't mm -hmm. need this. People don't need this anymore. So be done with it. Not and it, for it. Right? <laughs> yeah. I don't know how many shootings it's going to take. I I don't see a I don't There's see a, a ceiling on no. what's happening. Because everybody else who did something did something like after the first one mm -hmm. or so, mm -hmm. and we have actively seen them weekly, daily at times, and gone. Yep, it's just the price we have to pay for kids in schools. Just the price we have to pay. Yeah. We've had 45 shootings since March 16th in a month. My son's talking about it a lot more, like about like their intruder drills and all this mm -hmm. stuff. And I'm like, oh my God, like I just cannot believe this is his reality. And he's like, well, what would happen if I'm by myself? And I'm like, I can't believe this is the reality that we have to have yeah. these conversations yeah. about intruder drills and your safety at school you shouldn't have to think about what you are gonna do it's not it, it's i had to participate to you safe right sorry i cut you off i participated in one of those that's okay in one of those a couple years ago when i was um like kind of a sub teacher at my kid's school and I was in the middle school room and it's a very small school like the the building itself was a church building anyway so think of you know it's like a courtyard style where all the rooms are around the courtyard and one of my kids was in the bathroom when it happened all by himself he couldn't leave and we're like sorry what you know what do you do there's and then so we're running and trying to get the kids out and you have to watch and it's 
it's all pretense. So some of them are just like, <laughs> but I'm like, this is reality for yeah. a lot of people. For too many people. And yeah, I don't know how to get past it. I mean, for myself and my kids were there when it, when we were doing these drills and they're like, yeah, we've done these before. It's no big deal. And I'm like, well, this sucks. This yeah. should not be, you know, it shouldn't be no big deal. It is a big deal. And for me, I'm like, and one of my students that was in the classroom with me at the time, he was terrified. You know, there's like, even as a middle schooler, he was like, uh, you know, have nearly having an anxiety attack during it. So it was very troubling. And the stuff that I had to show to the students beforehand, like the day before we had to watch these videos of like, okay, this is what we do in this situation. This is what we do in this situation and having to watch this. And I'm like, God, this is, and they're using like police with guns and bad guys and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, this, this is not what I had hoped for my kids. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like that poem today that I shared, when I read that, that's all I was thinking of. Like, this is not, when I planned to have kids, this was not what I had envisioned at all. I don't think, the bad part is I don't think any, like nobody does, but there's a half the population that's just accepted that, hey, I want the choice to own guns. <laughs> and so my kids are going to pay that price and they're going to grow up in a much right. scarier world than I did. Because I would like to one day own a gun. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry, I don't I don't want to sacrifice my kids innocence and I don't want to sacrifice your kids' innocence. Like the selfishness of that right. is incredible. And that's not even getting into police shootings. I, I'm just. Yeah, Adam Toledo hit me hard. There hasn't been a, um, and I say this fully acknowledging my selfishness, there hasn't been a a uh, Latinx child shot like that in a long time. And so this one, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm looking at my kids going, okay, well, this is, part of why I was taught and this is why I'm teaching them that we wear good clothes and we don't have holes in our shoes and we present ourselves well and this and that and the other. Let's talk. Assimilation. Mm-hmm. Just to appear not threatening by just being existing. Yep. Yeah. It's it's um it's interesting because like there's a whole loop of for me um 
being groomed in certain ways as a little kid to uh, speak certain ways to know that because I am tall, because I have a large body to like, I was basically groomed to be Mm -hmm. non-threatening. So everything from if, I mean, something as direct as if you and another person are about to like crash into each other, you always be the one to move out of the way. Doesn't matter. Like, you know, you always move, you smile, you, you know, speak in a certain kind of voice, a high register, all that stuff. Um, and I thought it was just, you know, part of like being a good human and everyone like had this kind of coaching and training. Um, and then you're, it's not until, I think I wasn't until college that I realized that not everyone had that kind of training. Not everyone had the talk and the, you know, if police pull you over, do this. And and basically these survival tactics. Um, and, and, you know, being able to see through the compliments. Oh, you're so well-spoken. Oh, you're... You're not like one of those people who are out there wasting their lives and you think it's a compliment about you and it's really a, it's a, it's a backhanded compliment because mm-hmm. it's about, mm-hmm. quote unquote, Black people. It's about Black men. Mm-hmm. It's about, um, quote unquote, those thugs that you see on TV. Um, and me, not knowing anyone who was like any of that, thought I was really doing something. I was like, no, I'm, I just grew up in my neighborhood like there wasn't there wasn't an achievement and my mom would always tell me like no like you are normal you're not some special Mm -hmm. exceptional thing thank god because i'd be a i'd be a trump supporter if if not (laughs) (laughs) because you know you get the you get the ben carson's and you get the candace Mm -hmm. owens although she was late to the game but you get people who have these kind of privileged experiences and then they they become the mouthpieces to tell everyone else why all the thousands of black people are wrong. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, folks will just eat that up. It's like, yeah, this is it. Um, kind of, you know, happenstancely ignoring the way that groups that can't assimilate mm-hmm. aren't allowed to assimilate which is why it doesn't matter how many generations of parents you have that that were born in the U.S. If you are Asian, you are forever a foreigner. It's forever, you know, where are you from? Um, If you're Black, you're forever suspect. Um, Yeah, it's, it's very, it's exhausting because the other side is, um, people who are white and immigrants and groups who didn't necessarily grow up. When I say mention immigrants, I mean people who didn't grow up in the U.S. but came here um, and felt they heard the rhetoric. Um, So often they think like we were just raised in these houses just to hate white people and to hate America. And I was watching a, a TikTok about this today where she was like, no, most of us grew up with patriotism. We grew up celebrating the 4th of July. Like we grew up not to what extent, whatever extent possible, not having to think about this. And it was, we all had our own experiences of discrimination, of oppression that gave us our own firsthand 
reasons not to like this country, not to like the institutions that uphold it. But, you know, I just last week was having a conversation in one of the Facebook groups we're in and somebody was quoting, quoting to me the, the misconstrued statistic of 13% of the population committing 50% of the crimes. It's like, no, that's, those are two different measures. It's, uh, it's only about arrest. Like there's so many things that are wrong in that, Mm -hmm. but because it fits the narrative that, you know, something must be inherently wrong with black people. um, They just kind of run with it. And then they very casually will ask me about it as if it's, as if it's just, you know, a truth that exists. Like, nope. But how many times can you explain yourself? How many times can you can you tell people, no, that's not it? Mm-mm. It's interesting you bring up the the patriotism thing. Cause when I was at the Spanish church uh with my dad, we made a very big deal out of uh all the all the patriotic holidays, you know, mm-hmm. Veterans Day, Memorial Memorial Day, Fourth uh, of July, and a, a huge part of that was because we were a church of first generation immigrants. Like my sisters were some of the only second generation immigrants, and they were both. I mean, one was a teenager; the other one was still a child, um, and they were both born here, but. And so, so part of what we did was we showcased the diversity that we had in the church. We had flags from every single country represented. So Mexico, Puerto Rico, uh, Guatemala, Honduras, you know, all the way down through, through Argentina. And actually we even had like a Canadian and a German couple there for a little bit also. And like everything was in Spanish. They just liked us better. Literally what their words (laughs) Um, but we had every single flag, uh, pinned up along the, the back wall of the stage and for fourth of, for, you know, Veterans Day, Memorial Day, you know, if, if you've served in the armed forces, uh, you know, please stand up so we can recognize you and thank you. If, if you've lost someone who served in the armed forces, please, you know, all that. And on 4th of July, we we would emphasize the, hey, we're in this country, like, for a reason. We all came to the United States with a purpose. We all came to the United States um, because we wanted a better life for our children or just or ourselves in a lot of cases. You know, we wanted, we, we wanted the hope of something else. And so while we're here... We have to, we have, like, this is our country. We have to work to make this country a better place. Because what would happen a lot, um, and Sarah, I don't know if, I don't know if you've experienced this, but what would happen a lot is people would just start getting um, uh, uppity, I, I guess is the best way to say it, and say, well, you know, I paid too many taxes here. I'm just going to go back to my country. Or, or um, they don't have the spices, like, like really, truly trivial things. They don't have the cuts of meat that I like. They don't have the spices that I like. They like, I can't find this stuff here. And so I'm just going to go back to my country. And again, it was really, truly like super trivial stuff. And so we, 
we helped out a few different families start grocery stores that carried Hispanic foods that they couldn't find anywhere else. Um, we, we helped people set up, we helped at least one person. I remember set up like a travel agency to specifically visit these areas of Latin America that nobody goes to, right. Or that are very hard and very expensive to get to. And so like we, we, we did those things to show them that they can have pride in their own country while at the same time making the United States better. And what I did not expect to come out of that is sitting here six years later, angry and sad and disappointed and hurt that the response from even people that I've known my entire life is, well, if you don't like it here, then go back. And I'm like, fuck you. I grew up with you. I was your kid's best friend. I dated your daughter. We went to church together and we did life together and you helped me get my first job. And you're telling me that, and it hasn't happened this week because I think all those people have kicked me out of their lives. But saying, you know, with, with George Floyd or with, just, you know, pick an event from last March until now. Saying, well, if if you've got such an issue with that, uh, go back to your country. You don't belong here anyway. No, wait a second. I've the reason why I'm talking about it is because I love this country so fucking much, and I know that it can be better, and I know that we deserve better. And I know that our children deserve better. Who the hell do you think you are to say, if you don't like it, then leave? You leave. Yeah, you leave. (laughs) You get the hell out of here. You don't belong either. Hello. But then that conversation, right? There's a whole one that needs to be had. We can get into that. Yeah, the mystery, it's like, I, I... and I don't have an experience as as an immigrant, but from just working in the community, um, the backlash that our agency would get for helping just with the things that you've named in terms of like businesses, getting education, um, everything that, you know, check mark that you're supposed to do to be a good contributing citizen, because, you know, otherwise... You know, these people are, you know, taking all of our jobs and buying a house. <laughs> yeah. The, all, all the all the negative things that are saying. But then when you're, you know, trying as a community to, you know, to help. And I, I was just reading an article in my state. Um, so we have a big immigration population down at the bottom of our state. And um they're kind of revitalizing down there and really like making um, one of the streets where my agency was on um, just at like the things you were naming, like stores. Cause there's lots of like Hispanic owned businesses and restaurants. And so they're really trying to just like highlight that. Um, now I have opinions on, you know, the touristy aspect of it in the mm-hmm. look at us, you know, we love our Hispanic people because they did the same thing in, um, in Wilmington with what they call little Puerto Rico. 
Um, but <laughs> I think for the community just to like feel a sense of belonging in that town, because there, there is always that like, you don't belong here type of narrative and any little thing that you say, well, go back to where you came from or, you know, well, you're, you're like, people misunderstand like the various different types of statuses that people can have and like how the immigration system works. And I think if anybody understood how the immigration system works, you probably would have a lot more compassion um, Mm -hmm. because it's not easy at all. So it's, yeah, I I get really irritated with the go back to your country. Um, It's also not realistic. Yeah. Just from a logistical perspective, it's also not realistic. I mean, imagine like if you've moved houses just one time, if you've moved, if you've gone to a new place to live just in your same city, imagine the logistical nightmare of trying to go back to that place like if you moved from one two three main street to four five six uh i don't know (laughs) kentucky or whatever and after a couple years you decide that you want to go back to one two three main street like things have changed it's not Mm -hmm. just you don't just decide to move back you like things have changed and your life has to change with it if that's really what you want to do. But that, again, people, that's not even what we're talking about because people don't think that way. They're so selfish. Yeah. And that's, that's again, that's how it's, it's baked into the foundation. It's, it's, it's been socialism for the rich while rugged individualism has been the, the, the way for for everyone else for the working class um and it's it's this idea of basically keeping us busy keep keeping this idea of scarcity going um keeping us doing all these things to quote unquote prove ourselves um it, it makes me think of this tony morrison quote i'm, I'm gonna read it uh tony morrison says the function the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Somebody says to you, you have no language and you spend 20 years proving that you do. Someone says your head isn't shaped properly. So you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Somebody says you have no art. So you dredge that up. Someone says you have no kingdoms. So you dredge that up. None of this is necessary. There will always be one more thing. And that, like I'd heard that years ago, but just the last four years for me, four or five years for me, it just became reality. Um, I found myself in spaces just offering hours and hours of time and explanations and videos and links to people who would always come back around to the same lack of empathy and compassion, to the same lack of understanding, to the same lack of care. 
and it was it was never altered. It was never like, oh, well, I got this piece, but I still don't get that piece. It was all like it had never happened. Um, and I just, I just began to see how much time was spent doing, quote unquote, the right things that are supposed to get you ahead. Whether that's going to college, whether that's starting a business, whether that's being frugal and not getting too many coffees, you know, all the things they say, well, if you didn't get any coffee, you could be a millionaire by now. It's like, really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Is that, is that, is that actually how any of that works? Because again, you can't point to, to um, the billionaires who are in this country, the self-made billionaires in this country and say that they did it on their own. They had access that most of us don't have to both money and connections. Um, and so you, so like I'm just kind of in this place of um, exhaustion, uh, getting recovering from the gaslighting, and then just being exhausted with what it means to just continue to survive the endless onslaught because there's no there's no end of the tunnel at the moment. I mean, yeah, I'm looking for Jesus to come and just wipe all of this out, but knowing that I've lived in survival and I'm trying to live into thriving, but knowing that I need to thrive in an unjust system, in an unjust country, in an unjust context, it's not exactly exciting. I see some of the conversations you get into on your, on your Facebook wall. And I'm like, how does it like, Seriously, you amaze me. I look up to you in so many ways. One and one of them being, how does he not cuss them out and block them and just tell them, get behind me, Satan, because they're not even talking to me and I want to do that. Um But you're right, it's exhausting. <laughs> I can only imagine how exhausting it must be to react with grace, not with anger like I do. I mean, it's a, a part of part of me learning about the traumas that I've experienced uh, from childhood is learning that um, that I I. I experienced things as a child that my brain and my body were like, nope, not going to do it. And so probably as young as second grade, I became really good at compartmentalizing, putting the negative emotions away. So I could still be smiley. I could still be happy, put the negative stuff away. Even though in my home, I had room to cry and room to feel that all had to kind of go away as soon as I left the house. Um, and, I, I mean, so many of my childhood years, the thing I remember is coming home crying um, and being safe at home, but not anywhere else. Um, and so, yeah, like here I am 30 some years later going, oh, that hurt. Oh, that angered me. And I have been avoiding creating the situations where I feel that level ever since. 
And so most of my friends, most of the people who are close to me actually haven't seen me angry ever, um, at least not in a way that they would recognize. It was, it was probably about four years ago that I learned that I had to explain to my friends when I was angry because they didn't know. They just, because I'm not a yeller, I'm not, uh, at least not typically, I'm not a yeller, I'm not a shut you out type of person. Because again, you can't afford to do that. <laughs> or at least that's what I thought. And like, I, I have to just name I'm very angry right now. I'm very upset right now. And I've been working on having friends and people close to me who can hear that and respond accordingly. But some people only know yelling. Some people only know like cussing or whatever. And I have no problem cussing now, but I mean, everybody's over there like, yep, I know the cussing. (laughs) I have no problem cussing now, Um, but it's, it's a new part of me. It's a new part of how I reach into what I'm feeling because I always had to have the right words and explain things and be well-spoken and all that stuff. That was, that was the only way to be heard. Um, Cause of course, you know, like my mom, she couldn't, she couldn't show up as an angry black woman because that was automatically, you know, going to be a strike against, but she was a my fierce advocate. She was somebody who kept speaking up for me. Um, but but yeah, like, I'm, I said all that to say I'm learning how there are lots of trauma responses that are so common. We feel like they're Black culture. Like the, the mom who's always like worried about you and checking on you and, and anxious about you is a trauma response that's genetic in there. Like it's so deep. Um, in in black Americans um, that they can that they can see markers for it um, the need to prove yourself and to always you know go above and beyond to be independent the need to um, to always be able to do things yourself and this isn't exclusive to black folks but but the the need to always be able to do things yourself and do it by yourself but then you're also signaling to people that you're indispensable by doing everything yourself and and being like this faultless type of person. TikTok has really been blessing me y'all, but um, (laughs) it's really good, but it's, it's just, it is so interesting to see how common it is, especially for women, especially for people of color, especially for queer folks to have all these things and just be like, Oh, most of my personality is a coping mechanism. Look at that. Who am I again? (laughs) Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you about that, Darren. Like you say how you, people around you don't know when you're angry. And is that one of those things that you just kind of held back in? Or is that just your innate personality? Do you know? It's That's a great question. It's probably a both and. Um, mm-hmm. um, within the last two weeks, I've lost people that not like long-term friends, but if I go back to the last five years, I could definitely say I've lost some long-term friends Um, in part because they saw me and knew me a certain way. And as I, as I've been doing work and been in therapy and like 
owning my stuff and coming out of abusive church situations and all the other stuff, it makes room for other parts of my expression. So I remember, I remember, um, I remember as I moved away from the space of pursuing celibacy and living into whatever expectation that that is or was. Um, I remember one of my friends who wasn't celibate, wasn't conservative in his sexual ethic at all, did not like deal with me being anything less than whatever he had, whatever imagination he had for me and whatever imagination that I was protecting in his head. Like that's kind of how, how this performance thing works. I'm, I get a picture of who you think I am and I work to protect that image of who you think I am. Doesn't matter who I am. Um, and so, so yeah, some things, some things do feel, some things do feel authentic. Some things do feel like, yeah, I am really good at being patient with folks. Um, I'm going to own that wherever it came from. (laughs) Um, I'm going to give myself credit for it because that's the other, the flip side is I don't give myself credit Mm -hmm. for most of what I do and how I am. (laughs) Um, but also, a whole person has does have anger. A whole person can yell and not be out of control. Um, a whole person can like respond in the moment and doesn't have to have all the right words for it. Um, and so, yeah, it's just so the, the way I look back at my old self, trying to do it with compassion, is to go, yeah, a lot of who I know myself to be came out of my traumas. But who I'm growing into is a complement to the parts that were just kind of like sectioned off. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, I can be patient and I can be winsome with my words, but I also can, in my anger, not sin or, you know, however you want to apply the scripture. Um, and that all of these are parts of me. So, yes, I'm definitely planning on flipping some tables real soon. <laughs> I'm like, just, I'm just proud of like, he, like, you know, I love hearing about when you wreck anyone who's acknowledging and just recognizing um, their trauma and responses and just how you're owning your healing and just living into your healing. They're like, uh, one's my heart. And I'm just, I'm proud of you for that. I really am because I, I relate to, um, some parts of what you were saying with just having just, I mean, my, my therapist last week, maybe it was this week. I don't know. All the days are running together, all of but um, yeah, like revealed some things that I just was like, what? <laughs> I <laughs> call those nuggets. Whole life. <laughs> like just, and it's like, you're proud, like you're, there's like a part of you that, you know, being able to name something is like that moment, just feeling proud of yourself. But then it's also so painful because it's like, here's another thing, another area where I'm just like, my trauma's catching up to me. And like, here's like, <laughs> yeah. I thought I was just a normal person. Everybody doesn't do this. <laughs> <laughs> surely nope, everyone people okay all right <laughs> everybody needs therapy but for different reasons 
What you thinking about, Stacey? I was trying to see what Kevin was going to say. Oh, I said, I said, everybody needs therapy, but for different reasons. Oh, yeah. And everybody needs different kinds of therapy, too. Oh, yes. I saw somebody get attacked on Twitter the other day for saying that everybody needs therapy. And people were like, uh, no, nobody, not everybody needs to go to counseling. Some people need to like uh get their feelings out through or get their stuff out through through exercise and she's like that's a type of therapy (laughs) just don't don't understand it call it that right they don't want a name on it because they have a stigma about it about what therapy is and it's just been hard it's the bomb yeah even if you i i I've known my therapist since I was 16 years old Um, and we've, I've had other therapists, but I've always come back to my one. (laughs) It's probably a coping mechanism, (laughs) a comfort zone. I can't leave her, but um, I sometimes gone, like when I'm in crisis, I've gone weekly, a couple times a week. Um, And then sometimes it's just check-ins like once a month and it just ebbs and flows like that. And I, one of my promises that I've kept to myself was keeping the consistency of therapy because a lot of times I'll convince myself that I got it. good. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Until I'm not and I hit rock bottom and then it's like trying to pull and, you know, get yourself back there. So that's something for me. Like I just keep a schedule, even if it's, Hey, like I'm feeling okay. Like let's push our appointment back a week or so. Like that's just how I've maintained over the last couple of years, like my relationship with my therapist, because it, it just works having these check-ins, even if it's okay, I'm good. I'm working mm-hmm. on, you know, that validation of just feeling like you're, you know, you're working on something. Whenever I talk to whenever I talk to my my therapist, she always asks me, "Okay, so how are you doing?" Like she starts off every conversation with, "How are you doing?" And then I'll answer, and she'll go, "Okay, but how are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And I'll answer again, and it's usually the third time, sometimes the fourth, that she like stops, and we just talk on the phone, and she stops, and she goes, "Okay, now tell me how." are you doing you've told me about your family you told me about work you told me about your students you told me about your podcast you told me about what you're writing you haven't told me how you are doing and she's she's good at i've i've known her for a long time too and she's good at getting that out of me because otherwise i'm just like yeah i'm fine it's fine (laughs) things are good Right. It was, I mean, I'm it was just a rough day, but it's all the things I do. <laughs> yeah, and if I stay busy enough, or if I do enough, or if I accomplish enough, or if there's enough students at at youth group on Sunday nights, or uh, if I get the podcast Ooh, out yeah. early enough, or if my kids behave Attach enough and eat ego. enough dinner, then that I'm doing fine. <laughs> yeah. My wife will grab me every now and then. She like 
I'll say something. I don't, I don't, I haven't figured it out yet. Like she knows me way better than I know myself. Cause I'll say something that I think is completely innocuous. And then she like pauses everything. She goes, how are you doing? Are you okay? What's going on? And she like pushes me on that. I'm like, what did I say? What did I, did I give her a look? I don't know. <laughs> How does she know? It's probably a giant red flag flying over your right. head. And you're like, right. Usually, yeah. I can see it like in the de- demeanor of like my husband or something. Like just the look on his face or the look on my kid's face or whatever. And just kind of like okay, you need some space or you need to go do something else, whether it you know, go read a book by yourself or take a walk. Just, yeah. Or sometimes I know like my husband and my oldest, they are vis- very, um, their love language is physical touch. So, you know, especially for my oldest, she's like, you know, just will sit and snuggle on the couch for a bit. And she just needs that like, like squeeze almost and it's one of those things that i can sense when it's necessary and other times it's time like "Mm, you need to go have some time by yourself for a while yeah physical touch child yeah my my (laughs) physical touch person (laughs) my oldest is physical touch and he like i don't think he even notices what he's doing but he will as he's talking to you climb into our lap and like he'll just he does this thing where he grabs my wife like around the neck and he's just like pinching at her skin wow and he's just like and he's just talking and he's just asking questions and doing this thing and she's like Ephraim would you just stop stop pinching (laughs) my neck stop grabbing my neck I don't know how you got on top of my shoulders she's like please just like off because my wife is very she's not anti-physical touch but you could know her for several years and she will have never given you a hug like yeah you know (laughs) my mom is slow touch yeah that's why i said this pandemic is working for me in some ways (laughs) i'm not claiming all of it but the the social distancing thing like (laughs) i plan to keep that going (laughs) oh sorry i'm so worried about the virus I think I am okay with with the idea of it being normal to wear a mask in public. Like, yes, there's some safety considerations for for black men in that scenario, but also, yeah, I I I kind of I kind of like it. <laughs> I don't mind too much, except for glasses. That's the only thing that's I've, I'm finding annoying. So. Yeah. Hey, I'm sorry. I have to. I have to issue a clarification. My wife just texted me and said that she is, in fact, anti-physical touch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's not have any um, any uncertainty about that's this. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, so if you're if you're listening to this and you see my wife sometime during the week, uh, please don't do touch not her. give her a hug. <laughs> I'm I'm with her. I I have. Yeah, I have lots of reasons why I just don't, especially from strangers, but even just like friends, like fam, like I'm just mm-hmm. like, I like my bubble. I like my space. I don't, 
you know, so as, as a mother, like I have to really be very careful with boundaries <laughs> and how I voice, like it, mm-hmm. in, in a way it's been working well right. with teaching boundaries mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because there are some times, I mean, and like saying this, I, I don't know, people might judge me, but there are times when like my skin literally cringes, like when my, when I'm being just, I don't want to be touched and my mm-hmm. kids are on me and I'm like, I can't. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And um, I get it. <laughs> it's yeah. It's it's, it's and, and my I have my once the way you described your son that I always tell him I said I, if you could crawl back into my womb you probably would. Like, <laughs> if it was possible, I feel like you you just would would just want that comfort. Of, my oldest. Yep. My oldest because is like that too. Just will lay on top of me, or just, mm-hmm. and it's cute. And you know, I, so I I can adorable. sense the moments when he needs it. You know, when he really just needs yeah. that touch. And my oldest is like, he's good. He'll, you know, sometimes he's like, I'm good, mom. I don't want to. I want. Yeah, my to make sure my oldest. Everyone... <laughs> go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say I hope everyone is investing in in weighted blankets. Get get some real quality ones. I'm just saying. That's yeah. My well, oldest well. has one, but sh- they still will climb directly on my lap, yeah. Sarah. And the funny thing is, like, they're taller than me now. <laughs> like they're the size of an adult, and literally climbing on top of my lap on the couch and snuggling, curling up in a ball, and I'm like. This is nice for a little bit, but it's like it's okay. hot in here. Yes, <laughs> like the whole couch. Yeah, you have go a whole get couch. your blanket. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. No, it's I've like the great thing climbs sensory, into your lap. Any sensory thing possible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go ahead, Kevin. No, I just I was just saying it's like when the great Dane climbs into your lap, and you're like, "Why are you? You're not a lap dog. You're not." <laughs> You have a bed outside. How'd you even get in here? <laughs> yeah, our our middle child who just had his birthday this week, um, he has decided that his bed is too comfortable for him. I think I've talked about this before, but his bed is too comfy. So he'll start to fall asleep and then he'll get out and come upstairs and like he's very mad. He doesn't like most physical touch and he'll just be mad he's like my bed is too comfy would you we we literally don't know what that means like how we don't know what that means ghetto do you need more blankets do you need less blankets do you need more pillows do you need what do you need he's like it's too comfy i need it to not be so comfy we're like yeah we have no clue does he does he like (laughs) sleeping on the floor or is it like Maybe like a texture issue. So, okay. I don't, we don't think it's a texture issue. It might be like a firmness issue because he likes our mattress. Yeah. Too soft. And then he especially likes, we have like this little like storage. I think it's called a chaise, like sitting right in front of our bed. And he likes to sleep and it's upholstered and he likes to sleep on that. And so half the time we'll walk in and he's got like a little throw pillow on there and he's pulled a blanket from somewhere 
on top of him and he's sleeping there. And I'm like, okay, that like, I could see that being very comfortable for me. And so that it might be just the firmness of the mattress. And I'm not even sure how I got to this. Um, but <laughs> his bed is too comfy for him and our, uh, bed and especially the, the chaise, the couch, as we call it in front of our bed is just the right, it's like the right length and everything for him. <laughs> that works. Yeah. What they want. Yeah, that's where he's sleeping right now, I think. You know what they like and they know what they want. Yep. Yep. Now I'm going to be looking for ways. To, like, how do you make a bed firmer? <laughs> you buy a new mattress. <laughs> so he might, I mean, he might get a new bed when we move, there. but... Yeah. yeah he's not gonna he is not gonna get a five thousand dollar tempurpedic change the firmness, i'm not even though. a fan i know I, no i know i, I know, I really know people like who little... i know people who get those for their kids i'm like mm-mm. No. Mm-mm. mine are yeah. sleeping on the, the like the three inch or four inch ikea 75 dollar mattresses yes Heck yeah i like memory hey. foam i'm a big fan Memory foam is fantastic. Yeah, we've got, I think, the memory foam from IKEA on ours. Nice, nice. Which is nice. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it was still not expensive, but not cheap either. But it was mine came from the evil Amazon. (laughs) Ooh, my wife. My wife found some, like you know, those internet mattress companies that are popping up now. She found some that's like comparing themselves to Nectar or something. And mm-hmm. the king size is four hundred dollars. I'm like, okay, three hundred sixty five day, like money back guarantee. Yeah. I'm willing to try that. A lot okay. of them actually are the same companies. There's, yeah. I think for mattresses, for eyewear, for a couple other things, for eyewear, all there's the brands like are actually the same company. Yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I always buy the cheap, cheap glasses. Until this last time I went to the eye doctor the other day and bought the ones from the eye place because my insurance would cover up to a certain amount. And I had her pick them out for me and they were like one of the cheapest pairs. So I have to pay $32. What? You, you look very accomplished. Because otherwise I would have picked out the $700 frame yeah, <clears> if course. I had picked them out. So. How they cost $700 for... It's not even Gucci. metal most of the time. You know, you got Gucci or you got. It's terrible. It's it's completely which, brand name, which again, right. it's not yes. made by Gucci. It's just like Gucci just right? throws their logo on there and that's it. Mm-hmm. So dumb. It's very, yep. it's very interesting. I have no, like it's, it's a tension that I have because as an artist, yeah. Create things that tech that, that, are worth more than the the materials that were used mm-hmm. in production, but also like I don't I don't get really 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 expensive stuff. And again, it probably goes back to the way I value myself. But it is it's a struggle. Like I've never been like, oh, that's a Calvin Klein such and such. That's a you know when I was growing up, Tommy Hilfiger such and such. It's like it's a t shirt. I don't I don't get it. You know, mm-hmm. can't I can't get at. <laughs> yeah, I was really into 
this is going to date me, but yes. I was super into United Colors of Benetton when I was in high school. Oh, wow. And, but I could never afford anything. So we had one mall in the area that actually had the store, surprisingly, because I mean, we're in a little podunk town in rural Minnesota. So we had the store and I remember I saved up like babysitting money for weeks and weeks to afford one pair of jeans on sale. Mm -hmm. And they were still like on sale back back then in the day they were still really expensive like i wouldn't pay that much now for the parent i I mean they were on they were under a hundred dollars but like you know and then i think i ended up i was able to get a watch or something too so it was like i definitely had to save up i had to save up my money but i remember i think it was probably catalogs that we had back then for it Yes, for the I used to get them in the mail, yes. and I, I remember just like, oh, I want this, and I always thought the people in them were beautiful. They were so unique. They had such unique hair, and just their clothes were so cool. And I was always so jealous of all that stuff, and I wanted to be one of their models because back then, one of their models I think had a massive gap between their teeth, like I had, and. It was just one, but I never thought I could be model worthy because mine wasn't that cool. So you are model worthy, Stacy. Mm, thanks, Kevin. Mm. So are you, a- Darren, and so are you, Sarah. <laughs> and so are you, Kevin. Oh, thanks. That wasn't me. <laughs> even though for no a compliment, <laughs> even though no one sees our faces because it's a right. podcast, <laughs> and that's. <laughs> This face is We're made just for radio. The love here, we need it after this <laughs> week. Right, the all that we have going on. Have the love, know. exactly. No, it's funny. My my parents would always kind of along the same lines. They would always shop at J.C. Penny. Was our big like yes. Like we always shopped at J.C. Penny. My my parents still talk about how disappointing it is that J.C. Penny has just gone downhill and is no longer the like name brand that it once was. I'm like, dad, you make so much like my dad's an oil and gas executive. Like oh. he doesn't need JC Penny. He's fine. But he's like, oh, the deals we used to get at JC Penny. I'm like, dad, <laughs> uh, but, but they would always kind of, kind of going back like full circle in the conversation they would always shop there and always make sure that like they were getting deals and that even if it wasn't Calvin Klein or Tommy Hilfiger or whoever, um, that at least it was still like good quality and very fashionable clothes. So, and I never understood it. Mm-hmm. And my dad would always tell me, um, like if I was just going to a friend's house as far back as I can remember, he would get mad at me if I had... Mm-hmm socks with holes in them and like i never understood it and he would always just tell me no 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 if 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 they have holes in them then it's it's trash and and you need to throw them away and so like i still do that like as soon as i see a hole in one of my socks i just tear up the sock and i throw it away and my wife hates it and she gets so mad at me for it and i have to stop myself from doing it to my kids um because like 
they're five, four, and two years old. They're allowed to have freaking holes in their socks, right? But I never got it. I never understood why they wanted me to have, me and my sisters, to have the best-looking clothes until... I can't remember how old I, I must've been 18 or 19. Like I was driving, I was driving back home. Um, it was, a an almost brand new Jeep Wrangler that my dad got me for like a graduation gift. Again, all in gas exec, like he's doing fine. And I was in the neighborhood actually. And I got stopped by a cop. No reason. He said it was cause I didn't signal to change lanes. And I'm like, I didn't change lanes, but okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I pulled into the, my parents' house backs up to the, like the main road and across from them is like directly across from them is the um, police station slash fire station. And I pull in, I pull into that parking lot and the guy doesn't even ask to see my license and registration and he goes son do you know where you are i'm like i'm like half block from home and he goes that's bullshit i'm like Mm -hmm. no i am and he goes well where do you live i said and i just like pointed across the street i'm like that's that's my house right there like that's you see that that light that's on upstairs that's my bedroom (laughs) um yeah, I like I just I just need to get home. I'm just coming home from a friend's house. And I showed him my he finally asked for my ID, uh, told me that I didn't change lanes and that um and that he was gonna drive me home. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so he followed me to the house and my dad like greeted him. Like I called my dad and I said, Hey, please be outside. When I get home, I'm sorry I'm late because I had a curfew. I was like, I'm sorry I'm late. Please be outside when I get home. And, uh, you know, I get home and obviously it's exactly where, where I told the cop I was going to be. And I come inside and as soon as I get out of the car, my dad goes, why the hell did you, are you wearing that? I'm like, what do you mean? And I had on kind of an older t-shirt and ripped jeans mm-hmm. and like my muddy skater boy shoes. And he's like, that's why he didn't believe you. It's because you're dressed like that. <laughs> and it still, it didn't click for another few years. Um, but that's the first time I can remember starting to make that connection of, hey, it matters. <laughs> and again, I, I say this with privilege, my kids are all completely 100% white passing. Like me, you get me out in the sun and I'll darken up. My kids burn. They burn because they've got that Irish blood in them from my wife's mom. And yeah, they're not going to have to worry about, hopefully, they don't have to worry about having... Uh, holes in their socks when they go to a friend's house and being thought less of like just the way the ways that we i'm a downer i'm sorry but the ways that we 
that all these things like come into play that we don't think about them. And as kids, we don't think about them. And as kids, we shouldn't have to think about them. We should get to be 13-year-olds. We should get to be 5-year-olds. We should get to be 18-year-olds. Dress the way you want to dress and not have to worry about your appearance or anything just to make sure you're going to be safe in the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you want to you want to buy those those jeans on sale? Go ahead and buy those jeans on sale because you want to, not because you feel you have to, right? Mm-hmm. And now I buy whatever the hell jeans I want, but <laughs> I can also say, hey, I'm a pastor and I work at a church and you can call them up. And thankfully, I haven't had to do that in a few years. But yeah, that's the that's the hard part. It's we we still operate from. From these uh, performative demands of what does it look like to to be valid what does it look like to be um real and it's it's so difficult because there are a lot of people say oh yeah well if you just dress right if you just speak the right way and if you just you know check off all the all the boxes cross all the t's dot all the i's that you'll be fine and just like your story only with the horrible outcome, it happens again this week, you know? And it, and you're just like, there, there really isn't, there are, way, there are things that we do to increase our chances of survival, but um, all of this is just about maintaining in the system that is. Um, and so I've been, I've been somewhat encouraged to see uh, people of color, especially, um, noting like uh, I think there's a hashtag something like like raising free black children, or if you t- if you look at I mean it's easier when you have have more affluence, but if you look at like Will and Jada um, and how they're raising their kids, those are like some of the examples of quote unquote free black kids where they're not living into a bunch of respectability norms, and people like flip out about it they're like what what in the world like you can't just let that's white people stuff is you know kind of the re- the response but um but yeah all that's to say i'm really hoping that um that we really do start to see the humanity in all of us um that humanity isn't doesn't default to white and male and cisgender and and affluent um, cause yeah, I, I would love, I would love to be the person that I am without having to be an expert on race and gender and sexuality. Like what is the creativity that I could be doing and what is the gift that I could be given in the world if I hadn't been trained, training for survival from the time that I was old enough to leave the house? You know, what, what could, what could you have done if you weren't worried about throwing out old socks? You know, there's, there's just so many ways that energy, time, mental capacity was invested into things that we never needed to invest in other than that it was kind of forced upon us. Um, 
And so, yeah, I just, I am just thinking about how do we, how do, how do we be more present with the fact that um, the way forward is not going to look like times past. Like we've, we're going to do things differently. People are going to express differently. Um, there will be anger. <laughs> there will be rage. Um, there will be change. There will be upheaval. Um, you know, we we have to we have to tear down a lot of systems, including the ways that we've built our little coping mechanisms, so that we can build a world that is run by love that believes in abundance that um that that really does be the best in everybody and uh yeah in the meantime i'm gonna take a break <laughs> i'm gonna rest because mm-hmm. uh, uh it's a lot i think we all need to do that i can't remember who who said it but especially now, I mean, the last few years, the last year, especially, and especially now, um, as people are vaccinated and, and we're starting to see the hope of going back to normal, we've had our empathy counters full for a long time. And we see. Uh, a mass shooting we see violence we see injustice oppression of some kind and it's no longer a oh my goodness did you hear what happened at columbine i can't imagine that that would ever happen anywhere now it's just it happened again and we're still not going to do anything about it fantastic can't wait till tomorrow when something else is going to happen that nobody's going to do anything about. (laughs) And the next day when something else happens and nobody's going to do anything about, and we're going to get thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. Huh? Go ahead. I said, or all the excuses Mm -hmm. as to why it's quote unquote happening and not the truth. My favorite thing to see is it's always right-wingers that say this. They're like offended that Biden or some congressperson or senator or representative has, um, and I know there's overlap between those. Anyway, when some sort of political leader says we should change the Constitution, they're like, can you believe that they would suggest changing the Constitution? Like, what wow, you, it's like the founding fathers actually said that when they created it. Oops. What do you what do you think the second amendment was? Maybe maybe figure out what the word amendment means and then come back to us with your virtue signaling. Nah. It's just about literalism. 
I'd like to read that poem by Caitlin Shetler, if you don't mind. I feel like it might be good for closing. And just before I read it, I just want to talk to my um, white brothers and sisters and family and people listening and and just say, we need to shut the hell up for a bit and sit and listen to our family and friends of color and different ethnicities and just sit with them and listen to their pain, sit in the pain with them and have a little fucking empathy once in a while for what they've gone through, for what they're going through and what we have put them through and continue to put them through. And then after we've sat in that, we need to get up off of our asses and do something about it. And not just, and I'm guilty of this myself, not just type at the keyboard and be the keyboard warrior, but to get out there, to call our senators, representatives, everybody that we can and make changes and say, this is no longer acceptable. We need to get in the face of the police that are doing the shit that should not be happening. The racial profiling, the whole nine yards. We need to have those good police officers, those good apples need to stand up for, you know, when they see injustice happening also. But we need to start making changes. We need to start loving people. The way, you know, we talk so much and about how Jesus does this and Jesus does that, but, like, start doing it. Just start loving as Jesus wanted us to love. That's what he came here for. Nothing else but to show us how to love each other. So here's the poem, and it's by Caitlin Shetler. If guns don't kill, but people do, then Americans must be the worst kind. And if the problem is not bullets, but hearts, Americans must have the worst types. 45 mass shootings. In one month is a small price to pay for freedom. We bear arms and the weight of dead bodies. We form militias and safety plans. We protect our rights with amendments and our children with bulletproof backpacks. God bless the land of the brave who buy milk in Walmarts and war zones. Guns that explode bones and disembowel are fun to shoot. And animals are fun to eat. And humans are fun to bury. We are all having a blast. And it's too soon to talk about danger and morality when there are so many gravestones to carve. My daughter asked about school next year and I cried because kindergartners should not know how to be quiet in closets or lock classroom doors or think about murder. But then again, constitutions aren't written for children.
by Caitlin Shedler. <laughs> 